You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 3, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for Season 3 is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Leonie Bannister, your host for season three of our OEA Grow podcast. In this season, we are learning about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Today, we are joined by Phoenix Blickley. Phoenix, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi. Yeah, my name is Phoenix, and I am a nurse, and I'm working um, currently, I work for Multnomah Education Service District. And I am in two elementary schools, so I'm working with kiddos from kindergarten to sixth grade currently. This is my fourth year school nursing, and I've worked in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools in that time. Um, Prior to school nursing, I've had a lot of different experiences in hospitals and outpatient clinics. Um, One of the threads that has woven through all of my nursing positions has been heavy on the sort of mental health, psychosocial support, which is something that I really enjoy and am passionate about. Um, And so I'm happy because I get to use those skills a lot in school nursing. Um, And outside of my professional life, you know, I do have a history of different kinds of kind of social justice engagement and activism. Um, and my lived life as a queer and trans person kind of, you know, cul- culminates personally, professionally um, into a kind of web of experiences that I utilize a lot at work to support kiddos medically and to support kiddos and staff members emotionally and um, sort of with their mental health. So that is what inspired me to talk about the window of tolerance, um, because that's a, a tool that I've used a lot and find really helpful, both personally and professionally and in my, in my work with students. That's really awesome. And we'll we'll link a few images of the window of tolerance. And I'm just so glad that Phoenix is here with us today, though, to kind of give us some language and some specificity to explaining it. So we have that more in-depth understanding if we are curious to see how we can apply it to some of our students and people that we work with in our schools. So would you share with us like what the window of tolerance is and, and, and the history of it? Definitely. And I also Thanks. just want to say, you know, I am a nurse and I have experience with some mental health support, but I am not a therapist or licensed mental health provider at all. So, you know, some stuff around emotional regulation can be intense, especially people that have the history of trauma or um, mental health challenges. So, um, yeah, I, there, I'm not a professional mental health person. <laughs> No, and I I appreciate you qualifying this with, you know, our talk today with that. And I also think it's important that like multiple, you know, stakeholders within our schools have 
passion, they have experience, and they have they have gifts to bring to our students. So I think I love Bruce Perry's um, philosophy and concept of when we have a conversation with a student about their mental health, we become a mental health provider in the sense that we're not a therapist, but we may be dosing them with support that they need at that time. So if you're sharing something with us that is aligns more with like a mental health kind of support, that doesn't mean we can't use it. I think if you're using it professionally and personally to a degree of success, like share it with us because we all are going to be having conversations with students about about where they are both emotionally or maybe in their mental health state. So we appreciate you. Yes, oh, thank you awesome. for that qualification, but you're welcome to talk about it. We want to learn from you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I completely agree that school staff members, teachers are doing mental health support all day, every day Mm -hmm. um, for themselves, for each other, for students. So I I fully agree. And the window of tolerance, um, just a little bit of history. It was coined by a neuropsychiatrist named um, Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel. He wrote a book in 1999 called The Developing Mind, where he kind of develops this idea of the window of tolerance. And since then, there's been different adaptations and um, people have kind of built upon it. There's a ton of stuff. You could, you know, just Google the window of tolerance. There's a million awesome graphics and articles. um, And basically, you know, what it is, is it describes um, sort of our mental, emotional state. So the window of tolerance is sort of a state where we are able to function at our best. Um, So it doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and roses all the time. You're having like a full range of emotions and, you know, you can be frustrated, angry, sad, all, all of these emotions. But when you're within your window of tolerance, you can experience all of the ups and downs of life from a place that is sort of grounded and present. So you can do things like process new information that's coming in, communicate effectively, make decisions intentionally, sort of respond to challenges with flexibility, creativity, all of these skills that are especially required of teachers and people that are working in classrooms with students, that sort of ability to pivot throughout the day as challenges come up, right? And um, to process your own frustrations and disappointments um, in a way where you're still present and grounded um, in the moment, right? So that's sort of like this picture of functioning within your window of tolerance, right? You're able to tolerate what life is throwing at you. Um, and then it kind of dis- there's part of it, then you can get knocked out of your window of tolerance, right? You can kind of really like your functioning can really go downhill sometimes, um, in a few different directions. So in the theory of the window of tolerance, they use the language hyper arousal and hypo arousal, um, which is a lot of people are familiar with the fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it's related to those. So you can kind of go into this hyper aroused state, which is like the fight or flight state. Um, so a lot of people are familiar with that sort of hypervigilance anxiety when you're kind of flooded or overwhelmed. And um, the other way is sort of going into the hypo arousal or freeze mode. So feeling withdrawn, numb, empty, um, either, you know, either of those states, you're sort of outside of the window of, of what you're able to tolerate, um, which does a whole bunch of stuff to your nervous system, right? So um, it's very a dysregulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that state, you know, your, your prefrontal cortex is shut down um, and all kinds of things can happen, right? That's people become more rigid or chaotic, irrational, just things are too intense or difficult to handle. Um, so you become more, um, you know, less flexible, more reactive in your responses. Some people have a pretty wide window. They can tolerate a lot of stuff. Some people have a much more narrow window, right? A lot of different factors kind of influence this. So life experiences, trauma history, what your support system looks like, your personal neurobiology, you know, all kinds of stuff impacts this. And some people spend most of their life outside of their window of tolerance, right? A lot of people live in hyperarousal or live in hypoarousal. Um, so the, the goal in this work is to sort of widen your window of tolerance so you spend more time living in that optimal um, state where you're responding to stress and challenges in more adaptive, creative ways and ways that really um, serve your connection with others and serve your relationship with others and serve um, your ability to sort of build and offer um, support rather than um, like a lot of reactive responses that sort of sever those connections. Yeah. I mean, wow. I feel like what you've just laid out for us is very informative. It, it connects with so many current ideas in education, especially coming back to school after um, school closures due to the pandemic. It, it made me, it made me think a lot about, um, Dr. Bruce Perry's work too, where, you know, he, he talks about regulating and relating to students before we actually offer reason, right? Because of those hyper and the hypo arousal, or that aligns well with the hypo and the hyper arousal states that you mentioned. I wanted to ask you, um, you mentioned, you, you described or kind of fleshed out the um, window of tolerance as like the optimal state where students are able, or people I should say, are able to kind of respond to stress. When I think about learners in a classroom, whether that's a kindergartner or a senior in high school, so much of learning can be stressful. So what would you say within that window of tolerance, what are we offering or what could we offer teachers to kind of, while every student and every learner is different, are there strategies, are there tricks or tips that you could offer teachers to 
you know, help students stay or navigate their window of tolerance, not even necessarily increase it just yet, but how could we, because I feel like that's where we're at, like maintaining levels of stress and then hopefully building that or growing, expanding that window. But what would you say are some strategies or tips that you could share with us? I think that noticing your own state is kind of, critical, like foundational thing. And um, a lot of what happens when we're outside of our window of tolerance is we're really in our heads. It's sort of disconnected from a real somatic experience um, where we're less aware of what's going on in our bodies. So we're not noticing, like our bodies give us so many cues about our emotional state and the state of our nervous system. And I think we're really trained from a young age to uh, ignore those cues Mm -hmm. um, because they're not always very convenient for the ways that we're expected to go through our day. And so, you know, supporting students in noticing how their body is feeling and what their body is mm. needing, I think is a, is a helpful way to start. So, you know, so a lot of people kind of go to things like for this example, you know, if you're sort of in fight or flight mode, people often think of you know, breathing exercises, meditation, something where you want to kind of calm your body down. You're often like kind of flooded with a lot of anxiety or mm-hmm. um, just like, energy inside. Um, and for some people doing some breathing and some, you know, you know, calming exercises is really helpful. Um, some people that's actually more dysregulating, especially people with histories of certain kinds of trauma. Um, mindfulness work actually has the opposite effects. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people just need to get that energy out right? Mm -hmm. Standing in the back of the room and walking, you know, doing some jumping jacks or, you know, tapping your body, using fidget toys, um, ways to sort of get that energy out of your body. Um, when people are in freeze mode or hypo arousal mode, um, it's helpful to sort of wake the body up to bring some energy to the senses, right? So that's whether that's sort of sitting in your chair at your desk, but doing kind of a gentle, like a back twist or feeling different textures, right? Rubbing your pants, rubbing your shirt, rubbing your hair so that um, you're noticing different sensory inputs, Mm. having things to, um, to smell, you know, colors to look at, um, to engage the senses is, you know, one way that can kind of help wake people up and um, get them back in the window of tolerance. Yeah. And it makes me think too, just even as classroom teachers, we could pre-teach some of this to our students. Like here are some strategies we're going to use through the school year. And then as the teacher in the classroom, we then identify, like I'm noticing student A 
I can see that they're kind of moving towards a hypoarousal state. Like, but as a class, we then go on a sensory walk to smell the flowers, or we we are all looking for something brilliantly red in the classroom to kind of bring that student. Like, we're kind of taking a a tier one universal. Um, intervention, but then we're, we're kind of using it though for maybe one or two students. Yeah. Would that be a strategy a, a classroom teacher could use? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think so. I was really um, grateful this year. I got to partner with some of the social workers in my mm-hmm. district to kind of uh, do a little beta presentation in some fifth grade classrooms on the window of tolerance, oh, cool. um, kind of working with a few classes to do it, you know, exactly what you're saying, just kind of introduce the concepts and help them identify what their own personal cues and triggers might be and practice a few things that they can do with the goal of keeping students in the classroom right? And in that environment. Because I think what happens a lot, what I see a lot as a nurse is students get anxious, something upsets them and they get a stomach ache, they get a headache, right? They get mm-hmm. some kind of somatic thing where then they go to the health room and, um, you know, they're, they're missing whatever learning is going on in the classroom. So, uh, and then that, what I've noticed too, is then that perpetuates that kind of anxious response to new content. Then the next day when that math lesson comes back up and they're building upon the concept that that student missed yesterday, it just perpetuates it. And, you know, and I appreciate that. I think that I, what I'm really, seeing here is something that could be used comprehensively. It could be a universal lesson given to the entire class, but then also offered as an individual or small group tool for those students that we find spend more time out of their window of tolerance than is beneficial for them. Yeah. When you think about our students navigating adversity and who have experienced trauma um, and may have a smaller window of tolerance, you know, on that individual or small group intervention kind of level, you know, how are you, are we coaching them on taking breath work or, or, you know, using breath work or going for a, you know, more vigorous walk to just kind of discharge that energy? Is that something we build into like a behavior plan or how do you see that part being used? I see a lot of teachers doing exactly that. Um, in my schools that I'm in and then also just like on TikTok and on social media and all these places, you know, where teachers are just really sharing a lot of their strategies. That's cool. Phoenix, I know you are a busy stakeholder in your school and I have appreciated our conversation. Before we say goodbye, though, I'd like to just offer you some time to share anything that you think um, you may not have had a chance to share with us today. Sure. Yeah, I would love to just share a few ways that I use the window of tolerance outside of work um, because I find it helpful in a lot of different areas of my life. Um, I was first introduced to it in my own like personal therapy, Yeah. but then I really got more into it through my engagement with social justice and activism 
Um, and particularly as a white person who is um, looking to become more deeply engaged with anti-racist work and realizing that all of those skills that I mentioned about, you know, having like a real um, regulated nervous system mm -hmm. where you can have flexible thinking uh, and allow your perspective to change and integrate new information, all of these things that we're able to do when we're in our window of tolerance are really necessary for mm -hmm. engaging in a lot of social justice work um, because we're really needing to like hear, especially, you know, for myself as a white person doing anti-racist work, it's really necessary that I can, hear the experiences of people and integrate that as information into my life, right? Mm -hmm. Which you can't do that if you're outside of the window of tolerance because your prefrontal cortex is shut down and it's just like no learning can happen. Mm -hmm. I've heard similar things around people engaging in like climate change and mm -hmm. that like there's this whole wave of response to the climate crisis where people are having a very kind of doomsday, like I'm just accepting this mm. as inevitable. And um, I've, I've heard people bringing the window of tolerance in into that and saying that's actually a hypo aroused state, right? You're mm. feeling numb, you're feeling hopeless. Mm -hmm. um, Almost like disassociating from the cause because it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I could see and that. I, like building our window of tolerance can allow us to get out of that hopeless state and bring what what is needed for change, which is like creativity, adaptability, flexibility, um, mm -hmm. deeper connection and relationship with others, um, which is really kind of what we need, I think, to save ourselves. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. And it's such a beautiful, like, uh, what I'm experiencing with you today is like, you're drawing your personal passion into your professional life. And it's this like, confluence of like, just like strategy. It's amazing to hear your, your, your own story and then how you're impacting students with that. It's, it's really lovely and inspiring. I have to admit, I want to thank you Phoenix today for your time. I know um, we're all very busy here in our schools and I, I can just see, and I, I, I can now, I now know like you are definitely helping students and helping staff. And I want to thank you for sharing the window of tolerance with us. I think many of us that have listened today are, I'm definitely going out and, um, checking out Dan Siegel's The Developing Mind book to learn more. Look, look it up and look up the, the rainbow adaptation by Lindsay Raman because, um, that's a really... She's got a really cool take on it. Okay, I love that. And we'll be uh, linking all of those books and resources that Phoenix shared with us today at the um, in the summary of our, our, our talk today. So thank you so much, Phoenix. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited for this series to come out and learn from all of the other people that you're interviewing. Yeah, thank you. Me too. <laughs> Thanks. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.